that a bunch of men gathered with a bunch of good food when it goes from conversation to suddenly everybody's quiet. So I want to thank Steve and Bobby this morning for being up way before the sun was up to uh, put together a marvelous meal. Um, before we uh, bless the food, we've got a few just quick announcements, one of which is we're hoping in August we will be back to our normal format, meaning a buffet, and uh, we're going to aim to have a good crowd here. Before, uh, we'll start before the school starts. I forget what the first Thursday in August is, but hopefully that will be our uh, sort of return to normal. Uh, and we'll still do Zoom. You know, we've got folks that have been tuning in from Michigan and folks that are traveling to tune in. We'll still do Zoom, but I'm looking forward to there not being any barriers to having a full room. So if we could, let's bow our heads for a moment. Dear Lord, thank you so much for giving us uh, the freedom to gather in a place to pursue our journey with you. Thank you so much for these men and the trust that they show in each other and the desire for fellowship that you might speak through us to each other and to the people that we come in contact with this week. Thank you for an Independence Day that this country celebrates in many ways and that when we see those fireworks help us recognize that there's your joy and your beauty in those those celebrations too. Um, another prayer concerns in this room today. Hopefully we'll have time to share those with you privately and with each other so that we can pray for each other and be attuned to each other's lives. Thank you for this food and the way it nourishes us and the spirit that will flow here and the way that nourishes us throughout the week. In that name, amen. Um, I will hopefully get name tags back. Jeff is in Florida, and so he'll, he may turn in via Zoom. We'll get back to our traditional sign-in sheet. In the meantime, uh, make sure you write your name on that. We're, uh, we're going through some changes here at the church, and the people who used to run sort of the IT department and the, and the system that they used to track participation have changed. And so I am, if you didn't get a text message, let me know. If you didn't get an email, let me know. Put it next to your name. And I'm really working hard to get that rectified. It's not your imagination. You didn't go on some list and you got taken off of church communication. It was all a, let's just say our 700 number came down from 1,100. There's 400 people out there that somehow got dropped off our, our mailing list. Um, this morning's speaker, um, I've known long enough to have gotten into trouble with him, out of trouble with him, and probably into trouble with him again. Many of you have probably enjoyed Scott speaking to your Sunday school class, but I got to know Scott because I had lunch with a pastor here, and I said, I've got this great idea about us doing a bunch of events on Wednesday night. The whole family could come and blah, blah, blah. That's how the choir got moved to Wednesday night. That would have been part of my fault. And, and the minister said, well, you know, that's interesting. What you need to do is get with it. You need to make a committee. I mean, we're at Methodist Church. We like committees. And he said, so, and, and this was the formation of a small group that Scott, Jim, and Richard and I have been in, I don't know, over 10 years, 15 yeah, years. Yeah, something like that. And uh, ever since then, we've had an excuse to get to know each other a little bit better, to pray over each other a little bit more. And so if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. Maybe a, a man you're sitting with at the table is looking for a small group too. You never know until you, until you ask. Uh, small groups are great for each other because they help you know when something's going on in somebody else's life. And uh, in return, they might care about what's going on in your life. So I'm a big fan of small groups. But without any further ado, uh, Scott, is it are we good enough? I'm sorry to rush your breakfast. No, I'll finish this in a bit. All right. I did the stuff that needs to be done hot. <laughs> so uh, give it up here a little bit for uh, Scott Dixon. Thank you. Well, you know, I can't actually see what my screens say this way, but that's okay. We'll work with that. Uh, just a different than some of the talks we've had lately, um, because usually we have somebody kind of telling their story. And this is sort of my story, but it's also sort of somebody else's story. And I know that a lot of y'all are familiar with the Biblical History Center. Um, we've had an interesting year and a half down there, and I just wanted to reacquaint you with what's going on there and get you acquainted if you haven't known it already. Um, 
So, so just to kind of to start out, you know, when we look at the scriptures, there's a lot of things as we look at scriptures that that are. I'm going to turn this so I can see it. There's a lot of things that we look at that you know you could use some some context, and sometimes context is what's going on in the rest of the scripture around it. Sometimes it's what's going on politically or socially, and, and those kind of contexts really help to describe how we can tell what the scripture says to us, even little things, right? So, so in John, we hear about Jesus on, on a trip where it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jo Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well, and, was, and it was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. <clears throat> and, you know, this is pretty straightforward. What's a well look like? Well, wells in that day were, were not just casual things. They were often really deep. There was not so much this crank. There was not a pump to get the water out, right? You had to typically bring your own rope because if you left it there, somebody else was going to take it home with them, right? And ropes were a, a, a valuable item. So there's context that helps us to understand more about this. You know, why didn't Jesus just get his own? He didn't have a rope. He didn't have a bucket, right? Um, go about all the way back to Genesis. You remember the story? Where, where Abraham is visited by the, the folks, uh, the Lord, as, a, as uh, someone walking through the desert. Um, then one of the men said to them, I'll definitely return to you about this time next year. Then your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Right? That's just a little snip of that story, but what does that look like? How do you have a private conversation in a tent? What does that mean that she's separated in this tent? What, 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 do, what, the, what does that experience look like? These were folks who moved from place to place. Well, if I had a tent and I knew what, how the people at that point kind of organized their families and therefore organized their homes and organized the spaces in their homes, it helps me to understand that while Sarah is off in the women's section, she's just on the other side of a curtain. That's the divider. And we see and understand more about this. Jesus again said that, that if any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depths of the sea. Um, so we're going to use a rock for grinding grain. We do that today. Y'all go up to Helen and you can go to the, the mills up there and there's a millstone. And, but out, in, the, out in, in, in Israel, that's not necessarily the experience that we have in, in every village. How do millstones work? Well, you have, you have a big rock and you have uh, a, a lever that turns it and you usually have a donkey. Right? And that's the size where a millstone is. That's the sort of word that describes that kind of millstone. They also had small millstones, right? So that you could make your local, your home flour, kind of a pounding stone. So, so having more of that cultural and that, that context of what does the place look like? What does it seem like? Um, Jesus talks about being the gate. So Jesus spoke again, I assure you that I am the gate of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and outlaws, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they would have life, indeed so that they could live life to the fullest. Well, what does that mean? I'm the door. I'm the door. Well, this is a sheepfold. This is a sort of a sheepfold that a shepherd, while they're out in the field, 
as opposed to the sheepfold that was a part of sort of a permanent in the village, right? It's a bunch of brambles and there's a gap. They didn't build a swinging gate, you know, with the fancy auto-close mechanism that's counterweighted so that it's quiet and doesn't disturb the neighbors. The shepherd slept in that, that gap. The shepherd was the door, right? So having these visuals helps us to understand the text. Having an understanding of what the, the geography is like, what the plants are like, what the, the land is like. Remember the parable of the soils? Right, the good soil, the bad soil, the rocky soil, the road, and then to understand a little bit about the agriculture of that place and time. You know, in that same parable, Jesus talks about the fact that that the seed that falls on good soil produces 40, 60, and a hundredfold. But when we look at what's I mean, that's an amazing harvest, right? But when we look at the rest of the geographical context and we understand that he's sitting in the part of Galilee that is the most productive in all of, of Israel, and it's the place where the grain of the first harvests come from for the, for the offerings of the first fruits, and that they had never seen a harvest that was more than about 30 times, right? And when we hear that good soil and understand the difference in the good soil and the bad soil, and then we, we go further and know what, what their productivity is, and hear that Jesus is talking about a hundredfold when they had never seen 30-fold, right? And we understand much more about that miraculousness. As opposed to you go out into Kansas and, and you know, you throw a seed of grain in the ground and you get, you know, five million fold just because it's uh, prairie dirt that's a thousand feet deep and it's been cultivated. And, and so, so that all is part of what the Biblical History Center is looking to address, right? How can I understand the time and the place of the ancient area around Israel? The Biblical History Center's goal is to help people to encounter this ancient biblical world, right, through the history and the culture. Now, we approach this as, as a Bible-centered, and this is a Bible, biblical history museum, but it's not explicitly an evangelical sort of a museum. It's very broad-based. We have a lot of groups that come through that are, are, are Jewish. Before the center moved from Israel to the Grange, which is a strange move, um, the, there was a large contingent of, of Israeli and Muslim, Israeli Jews, Israeli Muslims, and Christians who all came together there, right? Because it's about the history of the place. And that place helps each of us to understand more about our own faith histories. And so, so we have the Biblical History Center is, is a museum down in LaGrange, just less than two hours from here. And this is a living museum, right? It's built around um, how to encounter daily life in, in the, the aspects of life pertaining to different groups of people within that history time. It was started by an archaeologist years and years ago. Jim Fleming was an archaeologist, lived in Israel, um, and he built essentially this center in Israel. And then we had this little issue called the Intifada, right? Where everybody was blowing up everything, and tourists couldn't come, and there was just no way for him to continue. But he had had a long association with the Callaway Foundation, and, and through that, moved his center and rebuilt it in, in LaGrange. Now, Jim has retired from the center, but his vision is really what has made this a possible thing. And we continue with a lot of those ideas. Um, and, it, and it helps you to encounter what, what life was like. Therefore, you can understand scripture better from ancient Old Testament times through New Testament times, through the first century or so. And some of this is through archaeological replicas. And it's not just what a, a thing might have been like. It's 
here's what the tomb that was excavated on this day at this place that that scholarship has shown to have been used by this kind of people right so it's it's specific replicas uh, there is a whole experience of how are meals shared because that sharing of food is so I mean what are we here for today bacon right they weren't here for bacon that's that's not a thing so much in Israel <laughs> uh, but the sharing of a meal was very important and to understand more about how people relate to one another when you see how their meals work what was daily life like you know Jesus talks about a lamp what's a lamp look like these little things make a huge difference and then and then beyond that there's lots of experiential things that we we have at the, the biblical history center now I talk about we um, Jim was the the guiding force that started the center um, he has a strong board of directors Sally Dowland here from from the church was, uh, was the president of the board for several years and she's now rotated off, but one of the last things she did was convince me to come be a part of the board. And so now I'm in the second of a six-year term on the board down at the branch. Um, and we've got a board of 13 people, um, some of whom are leaders in the Troop County community around LaGrange because it's in LaGrange and it's very much a thing of the community. But then we have national leaders too, right? Because it's it's... It attracts people from all over, from all over who come for, for not just the, the museum experience and the meal experience, but the, the, the children's programs. And then we have an outreach of, of lectures that we do through Zoom to make them available wherever you might be. So how are we doing? Well, before COVID, BCE, you know, we're archaeologists, so we say BCE before the COVID era. We were having, we had 15,000 people come through in 2019. 2020, not so much, not so much, not so much. 2021, we're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. Our, our um, April, May numbers were better than 2019 numbers, right? Once you get to the summer, it slacks off and there's, cause it's, it's hot, right? And people are doing other things, but we're kind of targeting to get back to about 80% this year. And now we're doing pretty well on that. We have shifted some of our programs around. We do um, a lot of focus towards homeschoolers, homeschool kids, homeschool families, which has always been a popular, a popular program. COVID has made us make these smaller, right? We used to have a big old thing, a million people would come. Now we do smaller events, but we do them every month rather than just a few. And, and, and these, I think, have become a super popular, much more successful activity um, we have kids who come down from the Atlanta area. We have lots of kids from, you know, middle Georgia too. And I'll talk more about that. Last year, USA Today had a ranking of, of attractions of different sorts. And, and the Biblical History Center, little tiny Biblical History Center in LaGrange came in number six nationally for religious museums. Right? So this is a cool thing. It's, it's well regarded. And we have some things that other people don't have. Central to... The museum and probably the thing if you've been there that you remember the most is, is our, our garden the the replica garden we have about four acres um well is that right yeah we've got about three acres of garden space where we've built out different aspects of the culture like i said with with replica places and this is really the highlight and we we do tours that are either <coughs> guided tours almost everybody does the guided tour but we also have a self-guided tour option, and we, we focus on what is the life of the shepherd like, right? So whether that's the shepherd in Galilee or that's the shepherd that we hear about from Moses tending his father-in-law's flocks essentially in the desert. Um, that means that we look at the life of nomads. We look at how, how the animals were kept either close to the village or out in the field. We look at the life of the farmer. How do they farm? What do they do with the stuff once they grow it? Well, how, how do you make your product? What, do you, what is it? You know, we, we hear about, about the wine presses and we hear about putting old wine into to new sacks and new wine into old sacks and what's the right way to do that. So we, we approach the whole farming aspect of things. 
the life of the village. What does a village look like? What are the things? We talk about the gate. We talk about the judgment seat. Um, what do homes look like? What are typical homes that we that have been excavated there? Um, you remember the parable or the story where, where the friends of, of a man who was paralyzed who wanted to see Jesus removed the roof and lowered him down? Well, how the heck do you do that? You know? Well, here's what the homes look like for that, to do that sort of thing. And then, and then what does the market, the city life, the Roman theater, remember Paul spoke in the Areopagus, in the, in the amphitheater, what, do that, what does that look like, and, and how do, what does the market look like where people would come and go and, and traffic with one another. So these are all areas that we have in the garden, and so we range from, we talk about sheep folds, a sheep and a goat fold, right, so this helps to understand that when when the sheep are separated from the goats and how do they go into different areas and it turns out it's harder to see in this picture but the wall on the goat side is taller than the wall on the sheep side well why is that goats jump better sheep are fat and don't jump too good if i'm building rocks i'm not going to put a couple of extra courses of rocks that i had to go chip just to make it look nice right too much trouble too much trouble. Um, for the farmers, how do they get water? We have water wheels that they use to get water to lift things. The, what do the fields look like? We have little tiny fields, little tiny fields. But what are the terrace farming techniques? Look at any of the pictures that you see of, of, of the fertile farmlands of the Galilee. We look at that and go, that looks like a cliff to me full of rocks. That does not look like something some Amish guy went and cleared, right? Oh, I got a little side note for you on that one. So, you know, I, I spent 20 years in Pennsylvania, and uh, one of my roommate <laughs> friends when I worked at Penn State was a professor of geography, and she got asked to sit on a PhD committee for a guy who had developed a statistical model to predict how rocky the soil was. And it did pretty good throughout the state, except for in the areas where the Amish farms were. And he's like, my model predicts that this would be rocky soil, but there's no rocks. And she goes, did you think that they moved them? <laughs> he had to go back and rework it. It took him another year to graduate. It's like, dude, they've been there for 200 years moving the rocks. <laughs> um, but so we, we, we have uh, ways to see what the different plants that are grown. Some of our plants have thrived in middle Georgia. Some of them have not. We've had a bad time with palm trees, let me tell you. Um, some of this stuff, because you get snow in LaGrange, you know, <laughs> just it hasn't worked well. But we have we have areas to see what do the watchtowers, right? Jesus talks about the, the, the landowner who built a watchtower. What does that mean? We have the watchtowers. We have the different sorts of, of mustard, you know. We talk about the mustard and all the different plants to grow. You can see these in, in the garden. Um, you can see how tombs were often placed in these garden areas and in these farming areas, you know, so because they're built into the same sorts of places. Um, we look at the life of the village. What did the city gates look like? What did what happened at the gates? How did the gates function with respect to the city? What was the big purpose? So that we can we can understand the the and going through the gate and how that was guarded and maintained with respect to the city. The judgment seat where the officials would sit by the gate. We hear that over and over, especially in the Old Testament, where the judges would go and judge the people, right? Would be there for counsel and advice and to help to make decisions. Um, and, and this was a, a place that was often at the gate of the city, right? Partly to to make sure the right sort of people came into the city and the wrong sort of people didn't, but also that was a central place as a part of the daily life in that city. <clears throat> so so the, the, the village is reproduced there in, in a good way. We have a Roman theater, I said that, we have a Roman theater. We use the Roman theater not just because it, it's, it's in the style of a Roman theater, 
it's not a replica of a particular Roman theater. Um, but we also have programs there. We have not this year, but in previous years, we've done an Easter sunrise service. And you know, did you know that you can make it to the sunrise service in the Grange and be back here for 11 o'clock church? <laughs> it's not hard. I've done that. Um, <clears throat> there, we do other sorts of programs using that. There is a really popular um, Christmas service season where we have uh, uh, Christmas programs throughout the whole Advent season using the reenactments and such using the theater. One of the other aspects of the Roman theater, well, the area out in the front of the theater is kind of the market where we have the, 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 the altars from different times that would have been used. We have, what does the threshing floor look like? What does the, well, that, that millstone is there. All the other things that you'd see in a marketplace. Um, so in, in the ancient world, if you went to a vendor, and said, give me a measure of a weight of flour, for example. How do you know if it's right? Well, they actually have in marketplaces, there would be sort of a standards bureau. And there's where this whole notion of, they talk in the, in the Bible about false weights and cheating people. Well, there's a place that you could validate and verify what you purchased. I was actually watching a Rick Steves thing and he was going through somewhere in Eastern Europe, and they had the same thing in the marketplace, right? You bought a kilo of grapes, you can go check it to make sure they didn't cheat you. you know, heck, you can do that in the grocery store, too. But that sort of thing is in our market area. The other thing that we have with the Roman theater is, is the underneath, we have um, galleries. So Paris, New York, LaGrange. What's common between those? Well, we've all got Israel artifacts, okay? And this is a cool thing. We have an artifacts gallery that's beneath the Roman uh, theater, right? Part of the way that, that the museum in LaGrange, Biblical History Center, was able to come to an agreement with the Israel Antiquities Authority <coughs> was to build a tornado-proof, climate-controlled, secured place for their stuff. There are eight museums in the entire world, in the entire world, that have a long-term loan of artifacts from the Israel Antiquities Authority. One of those is a converted Alzheimer's care day center in LaGrange, Georgia, right? That's pretty darn cool. That speaks to the reputation of, of Jim. Jim Fleming, who established it, and the fact that we have this ongoing relationship speaks to what the center has done with their artifacts to make sure that Israel Antiquities Authority is able to share with a whole new part of the world what life was like in the ancient days in their country. So <clears throat> we've got about 250 artifacts in different sorts of galleries. Again, looking at those same focused areas that we talked about, What's it like in the shepherds? What are the actual artifacts that we have found that pertain to the shepherds, to the farmers, to the fishermen? Um, we have a whole section of that. We had an idea some years ago, and, and I think that we've, I know for a fact that we've changed our mind. The center has an additional piece of land just outside the garden where, where there was an idea to build a Sea of Galilee. But that just became a little bit too far of a reach, right? We've got about a six-acre piece that we were going to put a lake in and make the life of the of the fisherman. But that was just, you know, that was a, that was a stretch. That was a stretch. Um, I think it'd be like a mosquito farm, is what it would be. <laughs> um, so we're not doing that. But we still have the fisherman uh, exhibits within the artifacts gallery. We have things of, uh, from the homes and tombs of both Old Testament times of the, of the patriarchs and New Testament first century, right? We have, we have uh, an undersea um, a shipwreck, things that were found on the shipwreck in the Sea of Galilee, right? And all of this has come to us from the Israel Antiquities Authority, and we, we maintain a good relationship with them. Our curator is planning to go to Israel, participate in a dig this next year. Uh, she's been there before. She was part of, of 
the group that found the first Dead Sea Scrolls since the early 50s, right? Um, I mean, she wasn't a leader of it. This was when she was in graduate school some years back, but she was part of that, right? One of the other showcases or, or centerpieces at the, the experience at the museum is our biblical meal. Now, we part of the biblical meal experience is to see what, how did, how central to the daily life and to special events was the sharing of a meal, and and what can we pull out of the scripture by understanding that? So when you think about how do they sit at table? Well, they don't. They recline at table. Now, the health department said we, we couldn't do that. <laughs> Chairs, right? Seats. And they said we had to have napkins. Right? What they talk about in the Bible, throwing your crumbs to the dogs, we well, use bread as your napkin and toss it on the ground and the dogs would have their dinner. <clears throat> They're like, no, no, no. You're having napkins if you're serving food in this thing. But part of the biblical meal is to is to share that experience. How is a table laid? What are the things that people would eat on just a day to day experience or on a, on a special meal that you would host? Because we read lots of times where Jesus was a guest at a meal. Right. <clears throat> and so so that helps us to get a bigger picture of scripture. And then we look at. That meal where Jesus was host for his disciples at the Last Supper. And if we understand how a table is laid out, that they typically used a three-sided table and they sat around the three sides, and that the host sat in a particular place, and that the two people to either of his sides had particular roles, the one that was closest to the edge, the right-hand man, his job was to be the helper. The one on the left was the honored guest. Well, think about the details that we see in the Gospels <clears throat> about the things that went on during the Last Supper. And when Jesus talks about uh, leaning over his shoulder to talk to one of the disciples, well, the only way you could do that if you're reclining on your right hand or your, your left hand because you eat with your right hand because your left hand is used for other things that means that from that description of the conversation you can tell who would be on the right and who would be on the left right and therefore who was sort of the designated helper within that meal and who was the honored guest and here's the spoiler judas was the honored guest right and then at that same time jesus washes his disciples' feet, and he gets to the end of the table and encounters Peter. Well, one of the pretty strong customs was the person who sat at the very far opposite side, if, if the slaves had not taken care of washing the guests' feet, it was that guy's job to bring water for them. And Peter had not, right? So he's feeling guilty. These are the sorts of things that in that in that biblical meal really give so much more depth and color to the experience of the biblical text and help us to understand how powerful of an experience that was and make it even more powerful to us every day as well. We learn about how that reconciliation over a meal is so critical to, to the, the Middle Eastern life and how it can be for us. Do you remember when the, the Middle East Accords were signed between uh, Egypt and Israel? And one of the big things to make it real was that Sadat and Begin sat down and ate in front of everybody. Nobody believed that this was reconciliation until they ate in front of everybody. That's the kind of thing that is, is really brought out in our biblical meetings. We have a whole lot of activities that, that are really, some of them are fun, but they're fun that help you to understand, right? We have some kids' activities. I think this is an awesome picture regardless. Those little kids' faces just popped, right? But um, 
a shepherd's bread experience where, where kids and adults alike get to see how did the shepherds make their food when they were out in the field tending the sheep, right, after with their flocks. We have a kid's dig that is <clears throat> used not just for our homeschool events, but, you know, for kids to come as a group, and, and they get to learn what it's like to be an archaeologist. It's not just a sandbox where they go play. We have, our, we have artifacts that we put into it, and they learn what it's like to go methodically dig for artifacts to catalog and see what have I found and what can I tell from what I found and then to have a press release, a press, uh, a press release event, a news conference where they share what they found, right? And we do this for, for we have a dinosaur pit, right? But because, you know, like four-year-olds like dinosaurs. But we also have, have New Testament and Old Testament. And, and a lot of the things that they go through and discover are actual artifacts. You know, they're things that... that they're real things. It's not just a plastic version. It's it's real things. And then we have our STEAM days. So so mostly these are targeted around homeschoolers, but we have lots of kids who are not homeschoolers that will come down for these and they'll spend the day. Used to be it'd be a group of you know 200 and something people at one time. And we do it, you know, three or four times a year. Now we do it every month. And this lets us have themes. Actually, we've got a calendar of them. <clears throat> every month we'll do one around a different topic and it might be what are the plants you know let's look at the biology and the botany and, and the agriculture of what's actually grown in the bible right so when we talk about a mustard plant what does that look like what are these other sorts of plants and and it's not just play day it's let's learn about the science and the, the engineering how does that how does that water wheel work so that they can get water and lift these big rocks to make that watchtower um and, and so it's a focused effort around uh, a learning curriculum. And these sell out as soon as the tickets go on sale. These have been amazingly popular. And the curriculum is, is, is uh, graduated so that older students have more challenging things. Younger students have things that are more applicable to them. Uh, so this is, a, this is a super popular kind of activity. Uh, great for your grandkids, right? Have your grandkids come down. Um, Roman Army Days has been one of our really big uh, activities where, you know, you have reenactors of all sorts. Well, there's Roman Army reenactors. And so we'll have a day where we have a contingent of the Roman Army come, and, and that cohort will, will be not quite as cranky and oppressive as, you know, the folks that Jesus and Paul had to deal with. But what was it like for the military in, in those centuries immediately before and after Jesus? What were their, what were their, their uniforms and their, their uh, provisions and their weaponry and how did they train? We had a whole day with them there and we'll have, um, we usually have animals like we have from, from at our Christmas evening in Bethlehem here, but we'll have the animals and we'll have a whole series of all day long family kind of celebrations. And we missed this last year. This is a really big thing. This year, we're back. We, we previously had done it in the spring, but we're back for the fall. We'll be in October. And so you can jump on and get your reservations now for it. But we look forward to having a big old crowd in October for this. So come visit, come visit. We're down in LaGrange, it's two hours, right? We do, like I said, guided tours. We do guided tour with the biblical meal, Tuesdays to Saturdays, right? We're not open on Sundays. Our Sunday school class used to go, had gone a couple times on Sundays in lieu of, we that make that our church, but uh, the center is now moved to so, so Tuesday to Saturday schedule. Um, it's actually in kind of an industrial park because like I said, it was a, a previously a, um, it really was a, 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 like an Alzheimer's daycare place. Um, but see, this is God's providence. When Jim moved into LaGrange because of his association with the Callaway Foundation, they said, we'll give you money to buy land. He's like, 
how about y'all, or they were gonna actually give land. He goes, how about y'all give me money or let me sell that land and I'll get a place that's already built and get a kickstart. And he actually looked for a place like this because it had big rooms, right? Because we needed big rooms for the meals and for the lecture halls. And it had commercial kitchen already built in, right? And it had nice land around it. So this was this was a really, it turns out, um, it's not right on the cute square of LaGrange, but it's a really good location for us. Um, so yeah, come visit us. Uh, we have a new tour that has started on Fridays based around the seven I am's uh, of the Gospel of John. And Sally Dowling uh, contacted me last evening and said that she is, as a part of her, uh, her Bible study that she's leading, putting together a group to go down in August from RUMC, and that if any of us would like to go, that she would be happy to open that up, right? Uh, I would encourage Eric to uh, help us to put together a group to go at any point. It's not a one and done thing. Every time you go, you hear something new. You hear something new. And things change, right? So we're always shifting around what's down there. And, and the perspective that you'll get is really each of our docents has a, a long training program that they go through, but their background pulls out different things, right? Depending upon where their particular interests and experiences lie. So they'll focus on different things sometimes. But yeah, so this is a new program that has started just real recently, uh, and it'll be on Fridays. We have, as Jim has retired, we have new leadership. Um, the center has rearranged its organization into a structure where we have an executive director now. Uh, and, and Carlos Cantu has come to us. Um, Carlos has been a, a leader in the Salvation Army and has done a lot of development and running regions for the Salvation Army, and so he brings a really strong development experience, which has been super helpful for us. Uh, and Christy Barker is our Director of Education and Programs. She's the curator. Uh, she has graduate degrees in, in Biblical Studies and Jewish Studies. Uh, she was part of, like I said, the dig where they found some of the first uh, Dead Sea Scrolls since the 40s and early 50s. Uh, and we're hoping that she can go back to Israel this next year for a dig as well. Uh, and so, so I think that we have really good people leading us. Uh, we have a good board and, and we have pretty good support. Uh, we, far and away, individuals are the donors who help us the most, but we have strong connections to foundations. The Callaway Foundation has been a long-term supporter uh, but also some other corporate foundations, whether uh, Charter Foundation, Diverse Power. Um, we have a number of people who, who use their corporate matching, right? So to, to help to support the center. And, and the Small Business Administration through COVID has been super helpful to us. I mean, we participated in PPE. Uh, if, well, actually, I think we did get our SPOG. No, we haven't yet. The Shuttered Venue Operators Grant that you may have heard about that has been such a calamitous mess. Um, yeah, let's open a website. Yeah, it crashes. And it was down for weeks. And, you know, they opened it and finally got it going and they accepted applications and they got like 12,000 applications. And after six weeks, they had gone through 400. So we're thinking maybe <coughs> for like 2027, they'll get around to it. But, but we have government support as well. But far and away, individual endowments, individual grant, uh, donors, and, and, you know, gate. The gate is, is what keeps us going. Um, and there's lots of ways y'all can help. Come visit. Come visit. Come visit. Come visit. Come visit. Let's get a bunch going. I'm, I'm always keen for that. Contributions are wonderful. Contributions are wonderful. We make it easy. Uh, we have a program called Power of 12, where it's just text. And, you know, just auto takes 12 bucks a month. We're always looking for folks to help out. Some people will aspire to be docents. I'd love to be a docent, but I haven't been able to crack my schedule enough to be able to go through the training and do it. Um, but we need we need folks to do administration. We need folks to do tech. We need 
we actually, one of the things that's been super helpful lately was we had a volunteer take our self-guided tour and translate it into Spanish for us. Because we've had a number of people who have come that for whom English is not a first language. And this has been a super helpful thing for them. Uh, we would love to have that translated to other languages as well. Uh, my guess is that probably Arabic might be one of the early ones. You know, we do have Muslim people who come who are immigrants and visitors. Um, but so, so all kind of volunteers and then prayer. We always have a long prayer list for the center to be able to share what culture and life and the place were like in the times that we see in the Bible so that we can understand what we hear in the Bible, but also to remember that all of that has continued to rumble through the ages of history, and we see it still today, right? Those geographical impacts on people are still impacts today, right? How do you get water? The big battles in the Middle East, in my bet, are likely over water more than, you know, six acres in Jerusalem. Um, <clears throat> so, so all of this helps us to gain a perspective, not just in the areas so critical to our faith, but also in our day-to-day -day life. So we have, we have a long prayer list. Uh, and so I would hope that we could get a group going. I would love for us to come down. Um, and that way we can, we can, you know, experience this together. So come on down. We'd love to have everybody. Anything y'all want to talk about? Questions? Any of that kind of thing? Yeah. How, what was your specific journey to be involved like this? It was twisted. It was twisted. Um, I found I found a lot of this. Also, Jim had come here as a part of some some speaking events that Sally had set up, and and Sally had mentioned some of his things and studies that I had done with her. So Sally has been really key to that, uh, and it really it really 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 spoke to me to understand some of the deeper cultural things that illuminated the scripture. So that got me into reading a lot of, of the things that Jim had put out. And I learned fairly quickly that unless you hear Jim speak, reading anything he's written is a waste of time because he didn't write. They just transcribed his talks, right? And he's like, pew, 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 pew. So you got to kind of get that flow. <clears throat> Right. It's like it's like it's like if you tried to read if you tried to get a transcript of Eric, right? <laughs> but so that got me focused on that sort of thing. And so so you know, as soon as the center opened, I, I was part of an early group. Sally took a group of us down there before it opened. Before it actually opened. I mean, we were going around while they were doing construction. And and I had been a fan of that for a long, long time. And then when Sally was uh getting close to rolling off of the board, she approached me and said, wouldn't I really like to take this as an opportunity? Um, and I was reluctant because part of, part of my approach to, to engaging has been to avoid administration because years and years ago, I got, a, I got pulled into every committee in the church and all it did was make me mad. And made me extremely discouraged. So I stuck with education. But this felt like it could it could bridge that a little better. So I did it. And now I'm about to have to do an IT audit, right? Mm. And figure out where we stand with IT because I'm the one on the board who I mean, and, and part of how how you know we engage with volunteers to focus on those things that that is within their their wheelhouse, right? The head of our finance committee is is senior vice president at Exxon Mobil in charge of finance, right? So that's his thing. Um, and, and I don't know anything about that. And so, so we look for people who have, you know, particular areas that they're good at. 
That's how I got in. It's Sally's fault. Sally's fault. Got it. <laughs> but I've been really glad about it. I've been really glad. What else? When are we going to go? Yeah. How long does it take to do the tour once you get done? What's so, the average amount of time you expect to spend there? So guided tour in the meal is three hours. And we do them at particular times. There's a 10, a 10.30, a 1, and a 1.30. Um, <clears throat> so you either do a tour and lunch or lunch and a tour. Okay? My dad and I are going in a couple of weeks. Uh, I was talking to dad the other day. I said, dad, we need to go on a trip. In fact, let's go before the end of July because we hadn't been anywhere, you know, because of COVID. He's like, you know, I've always wanted to go to the Everglades and the Key West. I said, Dad, you know, we're talking about the end of July. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be hot. Fine. But so he's coming down and we're doing South Florida and then we're going to stop. He's going to get off his plane here and he and I are going to go to the Biblical Ministry Center uh, and do the afternoon tour and then catch his flight home. Just as part of a layover, but yeah, so it's about a, it's a you know you're you're taking it's two hours down and it's two hours back, and it's a three hour thing while you're there, but it's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of it. What else? And uh, we're always looking for help and support. Yeah, yeah, come on, Mitchell, let's go. You almost drive. Yeah, I mean, so we've taken, we've, we made Bill drive the bus down, um, but we've taken the buses. And in fact, Sally, I think, is looking at taking a bus from the church. Um, and so it's, it's an easy drive. It's an easy trip down. Um, boring trip down. LaGrange <laughs> is cool itself. LaGrange is cool itself, yeah. So, and so there, that's actually a good point. We actually do partnerships at, because we're in LaGrange. Right. And in Troop County, we make a really this is one of the things I really credit Carlos for is engaging strongly with the community. Right. We're not just the biblical history center trying to play on our national stage. We're the biblical history center that's in LaGrange, Georgia. And LaGrange downtown is cool. There's other things in the area. We actually do it. The steam days. Steam days are a great example. We partner with Great Wolf Lodge. And they have steam days. And so they actually have discounted room rates for people who come in and want to go to their programs that they have and then just stay another day and come over for hours, right? So we partner together with them. Hill and Dale, which is a, a, a real pretty old house down there. We partner with them, right? So we participate with the other things around LaGrange and Troop County. Um, so it's, it's not just trying to be a national sort of a group. Uh, one of the things that, that Jim did that, that was separate from the center, but kind of drove things was he, he led tours, right, to Israel and, and cruises and things like that. We don't do that. We don't. <coughs> um, so we don't, we don't as much try to be in that national body that pulls things so it's a, as, as much of a you know fly-in from Denver right we we try to focus on the southeast and we have an awful lot of people from over from Alabama uh, we have an awful lot of people from the Atlanta area in Georgia so yeah yeah and LaGrange is a cute town and they've been doing a lot of things to make it even nicer cool well I appreciate y'all's time and uh I'll see y'all in Sunday school I'm sure thank you Scott hey you bet